0: Thank you for listening to the Missio Day Uptown Podcast. We are a church committed to our neighborhood, seeking to love and serve our beautifully unique community as we join God as he makes all things new. To learn more about us, visit mduptown.com. So we are going to jump back into our uh, service on, uh, our ser- sermon series on Lent. It's called "Longing for Rebirth." And we are following um, the story of baptism. This, like, the kind of the, the initial last week was um, the first week was talking about an, an invitation. This, uh, this last week was talking about our need for Jesus, and this week we're going to talk about being a confessing community. So pr- I'm going to read the scripture, and then um, I'm going to pray for us. This is from 1 John. from all sin if we claim to be without sin we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us if we confess our sins he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness if we claim to have not sinned we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us god we ask this morning uh, that your spirit would be would fill this place And God, we'd, we'd love to have a wonderful worshipful experience this morning, but what we're asking for, what we're crying out for today, even right now, even those of us that have walked with you for 30 years or 40 years, that you would awaken our spirit to the things of your kingdom. That you'd awaken our heart once again to your word. And that we would be changed, we would be encouraged, we'd be challenged, we'd um, gain passion in areas that you want to grow us this morning. Would you do that even in our midst in these next 20 minutes? Amen. Who else knows what's really going on inside of you? Who else knows what you are really facing in your life? Who else in this church, among the people you know here, is aware of the ways in which you're not doing well right now? I believe God does not want you to go it alone. He has located you in this community of faith, this church family, for a reason. I say that, And maybe it's because I'm an introvert and I like to make excuses for why I don't tell people things or I don't really open up, but I love to hide. It's really hard for me to be fully honest about where I'm at, how I'm doing, what's the nature of the condition of my heart and the condition of my mind. And this week I was processing why that is. Why is it so hard to be honest? Why is it so hard to, uh, to be vulnerable with people? Because some people do it really well. And sometimes people do it because they're, I, I don't know, there are people that are like confessors that are manipulators. <laughs> like they're using their confession as a, as a means to like get power or something or have people like them. But for me, I think the reason that I hide and I'm not vulnerable in that way is I am afraid of what you all think. I'm afraid that you'll, you'll reject me not just as like a pastor or something, but just as a person, that you'll think less of me, that you'll think that I don't have my life figured out, that I don't have things all together. And I don't, I'm guessing, I I don't know for sure, but I'm guessing I'm not alone in that. What if we were a community of people that dropped all pretense, that we came vulnerable and decided to walk in the light as he is in the light, together. The good news of Jesus always creates a community where we can let our guard down in good ways, and then we start to discover that we have uh, in co- very much in common, both in our struggles and in our Savior, Jesus. And there gets, begins to be progress towards the new life that Jesus calls us to. I believe that grace breeds a culture of grace, and we can begin to get our lives back to like the way that God has called us to live. We start to fall forward into this newness of life, this cleansing of our hearts and our minds in walking with Jesus. Many of us may have grown up in churches where nobody opened up at all. Like, uh, maybe it was your home even, like your family. Like, no one knew what was going on uh, inside one another. You never knew the struggles that people were going through. Everything was kept a secret. The church kept things a secret. No one confessed. And many people, I think, to this day, feel isolated because of that. Like they've never experienced true confession in a faith community and never experienced what it looks like to be a community of confession the way that John is describing right here. I remember in the church I grew up with, um, there was one moment of confession that I can ever recall. And uh, you have to be probably my age or older to remember this, but there was a movement called Promise Keepers. And Promise Keepers was a movement in the 90s uh, where it was for men and men of the, from the thousands would go to um, massive football stadiums and worship Jesus. And the call was towards moral purity, right? The call was towards confession and to living a life that meant following Jesus. And men by the thousands gave their lives to Jesus, confessed sin, and walked with, with Jesus. I don't know all the ins and outs. I'm sure there were things that weren't perfect about that. So I'm not it's not me condoning everything about, I have no idea. But it, there were three men that, came, went, that went to that conference for my church, and they came back, and the first week they got back to our church, went up front, and one by one confessed significant sin in their lives, significant sin in their marriages, significant sins in the, like, the dark and hidden places that no one would ever know. And I remember sitting there as like a, I think I was like 14 or 15, and like just feeling very, very uncomfortable. And <laughs> like, why are these guys doing this? And then we sat down at lunch with my family, and my mom and dad were like, wasn't that incredible? Here are these men, these men that, that, that dropped all of the things that, that they were hiding, and they decided to walk in the light as he is in the light. It was incredible, and it, it had ramifications in the church for weeks and months to come. Now, there were people that, because of this, felt uncomfortable like I did, and complained and said, this should not be going on in church. And my dad's like... And my mom's like, well, what is supposed to be going on in church if this is not it, right? Like, if this is, if this is not church, I don't know what we're doing here. But it was powerful, life changing, life altering for the community and for those people, I am sure. An honest, confessing community is a significant part of what Jesus came in the world to do. So the Apostle John wrote this book, 1 John. At the end of the first century. And this is just with the second generation of Christians after Jesus. So think about that, right? Just, you know, 40, 50 years after Jesus had died, resurrected, and ascended into heaven. It's basically the kids of the first Christians. And already John is running into trouble. It's not really surprising. But he's running into trouble and he writes this letter in, in part to address some of the difficulties and some of the challenges that their community is dealing with within their theology and within their practice. John is worried. Heresy is polluting the living, giving environment that Jesus had created only decades before. So I don't throw away the word heresy around very often. I don't, in fact, I probably have never used it in a sermon before in my life. So, uh, and sometimes people say, that's heretical. And you're just like, eh, no, someone just thinks that infants should be baptized and you think believers should be baptized. You know, like there's, there's like little things like that, that this is not heretical. There's a wide-ranging beliefs in the Christian faith where you can be faithful. You just interpret scriptures differently. But there are certain things that are heretical. And there are things that it's not just a bad idea or you think that this is slightly a bad interpretation. Heresy is the idea, an idea that's so bad that it will rob us of God and God's way. It will literally rob us of the kingdom of God. And there's lots of them that have come up through history. but John is dealing with something very significant here. It's not just a difference of opinion. The, the, the apostle John is worried, and he's worried because the idea here is that they believed, or this started to kind of come up in the church, that you could, you could claim to be a Christian and walk in the darkness. You could claim to be a Christian, and nothing in your life would change. You could stay the same as you ever were, and that sin was essentially no big deal, and no one should have a problem with it. They're saved by grace, and it's fine to walk in the darkness. So the first lie comes in verse 6. John makes it really clear. He says, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we are liars. John is not pulling any punches. If we say we have fellowship with Jesus while we walk in the darkness, we are liars. If we habitually live in the darkness with no desire to change, no desire to walk in newness of life, no willingness to step into the light, our walk with God, our relationship with God is an illusion, is what John is saying. And the context of this passage really starts in verse 5. So let's read verse 5. It says this. This is the message we have heard from him and declared to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. I love that. This is like a really cool summary in some ways of John's perception of what Jesus taught. Like he walked with him for three years. And this is kind of his summary of who Jesus was and what Jesus was all about. God is light. And in him there is no darkness at all. Things we know about light. Light is beautiful. It's it's like the signal of purity. It's life-giving, right? Light actually gives us life instead of always being in the darkness. It's cheerful. It's necessary. It spreads, right? If you go into a basement and you turn on the lights, it spreads like throughout the whole room. Even a small light sometimes can spread significantly in the darkness. You can see for a long distance if it's bright enough. And this is the image that we're supposed to take away from what, and who God is. God is light. Light is an indispensable prerequisite for life. Light is a revelation of truth. And Jesus claims to be the light of the world. This is the promise that John says. So he immediately goes to verse 6 and says, you're a liar if you say that your life isn't changing. It shouldn't change or won't change when you become a Christian. The sin is okay, it's necessary, it's no problem. This is the promise that he makes in verse 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. There's a second lie. It goes on in verse 8. and makes a second claim of what's happening in this community. And this is slightly different, but it's significant. This is what it says in verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and God is not in us. And when we do this, we make God a liar. So the first group of people are saying sin doesn't matter. Followers of Jesus, we can do whatever we want to do. We can walk in darkness even though we claim to be in the light doesn't matter. The second group says sin doesn't, we don't sin. We're good. We don't have any things in uh, our past or in our present or in, in, in our lives that would offend God, that would be problematic, that would be... Uh, distasteful that would certainly be of the darkness. We're claiming that we do not have this problem. And essentially when we say that we have no sin, when we say that we are are righteous, when we say that we're good people, we're calling God a liar. That's what John is saying. We're deceiving ourselves and God is not in us. Verse 9 goes on to say a second promise. If we confess our sins he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. What a promise. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Essentially, do you have the humility to say that I am in need of God's saving grace? That's that's the, the message, right? Do you have the humility? Do you have uh, the ability to acknowledge your need for God? I wrote two things down. In confession, there takes place a breakthrough into community. When we uh, admit to things that we've done, when we admit to problems in our lives, it, it, it breaks through, like there's a breakthrough in community. And the second thing that happens is when we confess, there occurs a breakthrough to the cross. That's both indicated in this passage that there's a breakthrough in community, that you have fellowship with one another. The second breakthrough is to the cross that you will experience the saving power of Jesus and Jesus' blood, blood will cleanse you from your sin. And so this is the key statement. I want you to hear this from me today. This is the, 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 the question or the idea that we must encounter. We must decide Will I, be, will, will I be impressive, or will I be known? I'm going to say that one, one more time. Will I be impressive, or will I be known? It's really hard to do both. There's really three options when it comes to sin, in my mind. The first option is that you'll go on sinning, for the rest of your life. You'll never admit it. You'll never be found out. And you will go to your death with that addiction, that, that problem, that flaw, that issue in your life, and, and you'll face Jesus face to face without ever having addressed that sin in your life. Second option. That one sounds pretty bad to me. I don't know if I would want that one to happen. The second one is also bad. Um... Because it's hard. But the second one is that you sin is found out. That like gets revealed somehow. It seems like that's happening a lot these days. That people are living in sin, their sin is found out, and then they have a choice. Will they then confess? Will they then turn their, their, their way back to Jesus? A lot of people don't confess. <laughs> a lot of people just keep denying. But that's another way it could go, right? You could be found out, and it could be really hard, and and then people won't even believe you when you do. Actually, if you actually have conviction and change, it's like, well, I definitely don't believe them. They, they, They had to get found out in order for this to happen in their heart. You're a little more skeptical of that. And the third way it can go, I think, is the way that John is impressing on us this morning, that it should go. And that is that we confess our sins Enter to, uh, into a community of grace and love. Like there, there's nothing but love here for you, right? I think that's the image of this community. There's nothing but love for you. You confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you can be healed. We, we embrace the life and growth that Jesus wants us to live. And I just want to tell you, when you do that, it's so free. I was thinking about my life and the times that I've had like intimate community where I have been able to confess sin, share what's really going on in my heart and my life, are the times that I am the most alive in Jesus. Because it is so depressing to walk in sin. It's so depressing to walk in darkness when you know it. But when you step into the light, it's hard. It's, it can be embarrassing. It can be sad. It can be difficult. It can be all those things. But it's so freeing. It's so beautiful. It's so good. It's so Christian. So to who, whom do you confess your sins? I just don't believe that you have to bear whatever's going on in your life by yourself any longer. Because if we say that we walk in the light and we actually walk in the darkness, we today walk in untruth. Um, the pastor shared this. I want to on this, and I'm to, I didn't write his name down because I knew it so well. And now I'm drawing a blank. Anyways, um, 1738, John Wesley and Peter Boulder uh, were. If you don't know who those people are, that's totally fine. They were really well known uh, pastors and leaders during that time period, and some of their um, influences even carried on to today. But they were putting ground rules. Uh, around their community that they were forming. Um, so they formed these kind of small groups of people um, and they, they were writing basically rules to guide their community. Sounds kind of intense. I don't think it was as intense as we maybe thought. It's just like kind of like these are the things that we should hold one another to. These are important to us in the community. Number 10 is a really cool one. This is what it says. Everyone in this small group, everyone in order may speak as freely plainly and concisely as he or she can about the real state of his or her heart. And then you can share the temptations and deliverances that you've had since the last meeting. Isn't that cool? It's like, we're just going to take no matter what. We're going to share concisely and freely what's going on in our hearts. And we're going to share the victories we've had the temptations we've dealt with, and the failures that we've had, no matter what. That is authentic Christianity. That's what Jesus considers Christian life. You can have it free and fully. And why would we settle for anything less than that? And this is the thing about Jesus. I I think that this is the thing that we have to fall back on again and again and again. There is nothing in Jesus that we need to filter out. Do you guys recognize this? There's nothing in us that needs to be protected from the person and the grace of Jesus. Jesus came into the world so that we can open our hearts and our lives and welcome God with zero caution. That was the goal that that vulnerability that Jesus came down to give us, that Christianity that people like us caught up in our own crazy and often ridiculous lives can be real with ourselves and Jesus, and finally get free. And I just. I think what this re- has revealed the last year has revealed that so I hear so many people that are struggling, and I, maybe it's not just with like sin, you know, like, but it's just like isolation, it's depression, it's anxiety, and it's just the sense that it's very unlikely to experience the life of God in isolation. I don't believe it really happens, but it can happen in fellowship. Because that's where the cleansing blood of Jesus flows. The blood of Jesus that covers our sin. Cleansing from all sin. The worst thing that any one of us has ever done cannot forsake this forgiving blood of Jesus, this cleansing blood of Jesus. you will never embarrass the Savior of the world. Isn't that cool to think about? Like, you cannot embarrass. The way that I was embarrassed in that room that day when the people were confessing, you are not surprised and you will not embarrass Jesus. He is not intimidated by your life. All he feels for you is tenderness and love. The sin that, in your life that haunts you and shames you and feels like it damns you, is right where Jesus loves you the most tenderly. That is where he gives the most grace for you, the most compassion. It's for that sin that Jesus went to the cross. So why would we not confess it to him, to pour it out? Why not share it with with Jesus even right now? What if we went to a friend even today and shared what's really going on in our lives? What would happen in our community? I remember... um, Early on in our church, this was probably—I think I've shared this story before—but most of you probably haven't heard it. There's a lot of new 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 groups of people here. But early on, like seven years ago, when our first was just beginning, we had a a men's night, and uh, we—it was a night where we—I gave a little very brief lesson and basically said, "Hey, I think we should confess our sins to one another." And everyone looked at me like with blank stares, like "I'm not going." Uh, yeah, that sounds great. In, In theory, right, it sounds really good. And there was one person that had just started coming to our church and he stood up and he started weeping and he shared some of the darkest sins imaginable. I mean, truly. And just a hard, hard life. Things that had happened to him, things that he had done. And I just remember it just like broke things down. And in the, the minutes and the and, and you know the hour to come, so many people were were willing to share, were willing to confess, were willing to step into the light. And often it just takes one person to have the courage, doesn't it? One person to say, "Uh, I'm not all right. Things are not going well in my life right now. And I need your help. And I want to confess to Jesus. I want to experience forgiveness. Sometimes it just takes one step. It doesn't require you to run, but just to walk in the light. I believe... I believe this with my whole heart, that this is a community uh, that loves one another well. Not perfectly. Not uh, without mistake. But I really believe that if you were to confess, if you were to share, if we became a confessing community like it's described here, that you would be welcomed in love. That love would, is truly awaiting you here that you will be listened to, that you will be prayed for. Isn't it cool to think about being part of a church where you can go deep and that some of the people that are in this room, is my hope, will be, if you're willing to take the risk to go deep with people, will be your friends and companions and walk with you for years to come. I mean, people come and go from this church, but there are people that, are, that have gone that still have friendships and relationships here. Where that community of people surrounds them, where the love of God is so full and so free and so good that they come back for more and that keep those relationships for a long time. I think this is a, a chance, this is an opportunity, a year away from meeting together, a year away from so much of our community, so much isolation, of so much uh, anxiety about what's going on in our lives, of struggle. Isn't this like, this is our opportunity at Miss Day. To walk in friendships, in such solidarity that you'll be friends for years to come, to be a confessing community. My friend Aaron Damiani, he's a, a pastor at Emanuel Anglican Church here. In, he actually they used to meet across the street at Uplift and now somewhere else. He, he, he wrote this a couple years ago. And I want to explain it because it sounds like it's negative on the first time, but I'll, I'll explain it. It says, you know it's a revolution when people aren't afraid to expose and confess other people's sins. But you know it's a revival when people aren't afraid to confess and expose their own. Now, I'm for the revolution, right? There's a lot of sin in our context and in our culture that absolutely needs to be called out, prophetically said truth to those spaces and to those people. But I'm just as into the revival part. And in fact, I don't think one without the other is incomplete. It's not really what Jesus was all about. walking in the light is where we stop lying. We stop needing to appear better than we are. We get to have an honest relationship with Jesus and one another. And the whole community, the vision of of Jesus, I should say, is a whole community of people walking together in the light. What would that look like? How incredible would that be? That we could get rid of our pride, that we could get rid of our false front, that we could stop manipulating, stop... uh, (laughs) Are demanding of, of what we think it should be and just kind of open up our hearts and our lives to one another and to Jesus. I just believe the whole church could change. We could move from guardedness and aloofness to moving to openness and change and tenderness, compassion and love for one another. We could have that even right now. now I say that and it's weird, right? Because we're all wearing masks and uh, if someone were to pray for you today, they'd have to stand six feet from you right? And uh, it's just a little bit awkward, right? We can't, use, we can't have a time we're coming forward for, for prayer as easily as we could before. And so what I'm asking for you to do today, this is, my, this is my application for you right now. My application for you right now is to confess to Jesus in this moment right now. And then I want you to conf- commit to grabbing somebody after the service later today I would say even today, where you can call on the phone, t- even if it's a text, I don't care. I'm not, I kind of get tired of texting sometimes, but even a text, for older people, you can send an email and just share what's going on in your life with somebody. You know, you know what? You don't even have to do the deepest, darkest stuff. Just like say one thing, I'm struggling in this area and I want some help. I would be willing to bet that the floodgates would be open. I would be willing to bet somebody in our church is not going to condemn you, is not going to judge you, but, you're, but they're going to have nothing but compassion for you and welcome you in. If you need to meet with me this week or you need to call uh, any of our elders or deacons, other leaders in the church, reach out. I bet you there's nothing but love. Thank you for listening to the Missio Day Uptown podcast. We are a church committed to our neighborhood, seeking to love and serve our beautifully unique community as we join God as he makes all things new. To learn more about us, visit mduptown.com.